Well, good evening, everyone. Um, <clears throat> it definitely is a blessing to um, be able to be up here this evening to, I guess, teach and expound on a portion of scripture that was laid on my heart. Um, in my case, it'll be on the spiritual gift of helps. And I'm a bit nervous this evening, so um, I'm going to ask for your help in bearing with me. And I apologize if I happen to stumble over my words. Um, as our brother Daryl mentioned, I'm also a bit out of my comfort zone. It's not something that I do normally. Um, but um, <clears throat> I guess I, um, I, I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this. Um, so I'm going to have to rely on the help of God, I guess, and the Holy Spirit to hopefully um, make much of my time here and being able to, I guess, explain this properly. Um, yeah, it was made clear to me on Wednesday evening when Daryl sent out a text to uh, a couple of brothers that um, we'd be having a study at his place and, I guess, look into a few gifts and um, assign a gift to each one of the brothers there to um, dive into. So um, not sure how much, how long I'll be up here, if it's five minutes or ten minutes, I'll just... Yeah, as the Lord leads, I guess. Um, I guess to kind of conduct my study, I decided to do a kind of a who, what, when, where, why type thing, um, just to help um, guide me along, I guess, to know what to talk about and what to explain. So um, I guess to start off this evening, I'll start off with the what. Like, what does the spiritual gift of helps actually mean? Um, and I guess the literal Greek word, as Daryl already mentioned, is antilempsis. I might have butchered that word, but apparently, and we actually um, dove into this on Wednesday evening, this word, to my astonishment, is only used once in the entire Bible. So I was like, how in the world am I going to do a study on a word? that is only used once in the entire Bible. And to my astonishment, I was, actually to, I was actually able to come up with a more notes than I expected. Um, I guess the literal English translation of this word is remuneration. And if I explain the definition of this word, it's, not gonna, it's, it's gonna sound confusing to you guys. So I'm gonna come back to that in a second. And I guess another definition of that, of the word entelempsis, is the hold one has on something, then perception or apprehension. Um, in a simple sense, it means one who aids or assists uh, and helps people in times of trouble. The Greek word gives a picture of laying hold of and depicts one member taking the burden from another, keeping them from falling. Um, it's kind of like if you'd imagine a soldier in a war, like an injured soldier just laying there on the ground. And I guess a healthy soldier comes along and literally puts this injured soldier around his back and carries him to safety. That's kind of what this word is depicting. And it's actually a derivative from the Greek word antilambonome, and I might have butchered that word as well, which is the literal English translation of that word is help, ironically in English, just help without the S. 
And that word also is only used three times in the entire Bible, which is Luke 1.54, Acts 20.35, or 1 Timothy 6.2. And I guess the first part of that word, anti, meaning mutually or against, and lemonomai, meaning to take or hold. And generally this word means taking someone by the hand, but in 1 Timothy 6, 2, it has another meaning, which is um, one of the passages where this word is used. And I'm just going to read out the paragraph where it's mentioned. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 2. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them. And that's the word that it's using here, serve. But rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. And here the word serve means to give or commit oneself wholeheartedly to something or to experience the benefit from someone. And now I can actually go back to this word remuneration, which means money paid for work or a service, the wages you get back from your job. And if you compare it to this definition of experiencing benefit from someone, it actually starts to make sense because when we help someone and we eventually receive back the benefits of helping this person, maybe in the future they come back and help us in return, it sort of, you know, aligns with this definition of being paid wages for our service. We get back in return for our help. And yeah, um, how many of us can say we've never actually reaped the benefits from helping someone? It literally always, or almost always, people will return the favor. So I guess that's pretty much what I've got for um, what does this word mean. So hopefully I've been able to make that clear. As I dive into the where is it used in the Bible, or what are some examples of where it's used in the Bible. And I'm just going to jump here to Numbers 11:17. if you guys want to turn there with me. And I'm just going to read out the verse where it's used and then give a little bit of context. context. And in Numbers 11:17, the word isn't specifically used, but it does give us an illustration of what it looks like. So Numbers 11, 17, I'm going to start reading from verse um, 10, actually. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at their door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get me to give, all, to, give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. 
I will take of the spirit that is upon you and put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. And I guess here in this chapter we have a multitude of people complaining to one man because they feel like they're being mistreated or they're missing out on food, I guess, as if they haven't been granted enough privileges and benefits by the Lord. And Moses being this just one of God, this um, divinely enabled man, I guess you think would be able to, to bear these kinds of complaints, but no. Him being just a man, also, the, the pressure eventually gets to him, and um, he has to take this massive burden to the Lord, telling him that he can't bear this burden alone. In other words, um, Moses was ha- um, asking the Lord for helpers to, to help um, carry this burden, especially chosen people that, that would carry the weight with him. Um, I guess the words I will take of the Spirit here draws a parallel to 1 Corinthians 12, 4, where it says that there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. God was telling Moses that the same spirit which was in him, he would give to these 70 men. And so we have God distributing to each one individually as he wills. And it also talks about that in 1 Corinthians 12. So I guess take here in Hebrew, where I guess again back to the same sentence, I will take of the spirit. Take in Hebrew can mean to withdraw or take from. So if you think about that, it's easy to, for someone to assume that God was literally taking away power from Moses to give to these 70 men or, um, or, or to get the idea that Moses was somehow made lesser than these men in order so, so that they could become more. But it, it's actually not that way at all. You guys um, have to imagine kind of uh, like in a room full of candlesticks where, where one candlestick is burning and, and the rest are all diminished and you take one candlestick and with that one candlestick, you light all the other ones. So that's kind of what Moses was. Moses was this one candlestick that was shining brighter and he, uh, 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 these 70 men were lit on fire by his um, divine spirit. So we have an image of the supernatural um, operations that come from divine endowment by the spirit placed on them. Like these weren't some randomly chosen people and given this hard burden of helping manage thousands of people all on their own. Like while I was studying for this passage, I kind of got the the funny idea, I guess, that um, if Moses would somehow not have taken this burden to the Lord, I imagine him going around and, you know, walking up to 70 random people and was like, here you go, have this massive burden from me. You're now going to help me manage these people. Going up to another one, you're going to help me manage these people. You're going to help me manage these people without the help from the Lord. Um, and it kind of led me to, to wonder, I wonder how that would have gone without the help of the Holy Spirit. So these people were specifically selected and gifted, literally gifted the same type of spirit that dwelled in Moses. Not that they were now equal with him, just that they would have the same divine enabled ability to help carry the burden of governing this multitude. They were to be partners, not equals. So basically, as one brother specifically here often likes to say, God was qualifying the called, He does not call the qualified, 
he qualifies those whom he calls, or else some people might prove to be more of a hindrance than a help. So in summary, the elders were there to help Moses care for and minister the people, to help him carry the spiritual load. So we see that helpful men are divinely enabled, God-given God through godly men. And this is just all, um, all over the Bible. We see this as a customary way for God to meet our needs. So I guess that's my first example. And my second example is in Acts 20.35. So if you guys want to turn there, I'm also going to read a portion of scripture here where this word is literally used. And I'm going to start reading from verse 32. So that's Acts 20.35. And I'm going to start reading from Acts 32. 2032. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I'm not sure which Bible, you, which Bible translation you guys have. In some of your translations, it might say, the, the word that's used here is actually support. Like in my Bible, it says support, but it's actually literally the same word that I mentioned earlier. In some Bibles, it does say help. So this word support is the same word. And I guess the context of this whole chapter, starting from verse 17, um, the context here is Paul calling the Ephesians elders together to exhort them one last time before he departs for Jerusalem and what would inevitably be his last missionary journey and may never see um, some of them again. And one thing he tells them is to support the weak. Now, how does one do this? Well, he kind of answers that in, in the next sentence. Oh, he answers that before that by saying, by laboring like he did. And weak here, when he says support the weak, refers to the economically weak or the physically weak who are unable to work. It denotes the poor, the needy, and the infirm. And in Greek, this word weak actually translates to athenio, and it can also refer to the deceased. Labor in Greek means cup, cap, and it means to exhibit great effort and exertion to the point of sweat and exhaustion, to become physically worn out, weary, or faint. So through Paul's three years of teaching and conduct, he had demonstrated, sure, he was great at teaching and exhorting people and making scripture clear to people, but also he had demonstrated the practice of supporting and helping and in verse, 20, uh, verse 24, not counting his life dear to himself, literally sacrificing himself for the benefit of other people. And Paul tells them to imitate that. We can see that although Paul was this extremely blessed person of God, divinely enabled of God, and no doubt a great favorite of heaven, 
He was still reduced to basic necessities. He was still a man. He was still uh, reduced to the common supports, having to toil and sweat in order to help and support other people and be helped in return. So just because we have this gift doesn't mean that things will be easy and we can just sit back and relax and things will always go our way. It still takes time, commitment, and effort on our part to actually put our gift into practice. And Paul's life was extremely exemplary in the fact that he always sought to help other people rather than himself. All he sought was fruit from his labor, which is what he says in Philippians 4.17. All I seek is fruit from my labor. Then he tells the elders that it is more blessed to give, to, uh, I guess, um, yeah, then, it's, then he recalls the words of the Lord Jesus and says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Or I guess while I was studying for this, I kind of translated that it is more blessed to help than be helped. So this doesn't mean that being helped or receiving isn't, isn't blessed in and of itself, because if everyone refused help, then there would be no opportunity to help, or there would be no opportunity to serve, or to actually practice this gift of helping. Now, it actually led me to think that some sincere, well-meaning people, not wanting to be a burden on other people, often say, oh, I can't take that, or you really shouldn't. So why is it that we sometimes refuse help that way, not wanting to be a burden? Why is it that we sometimes say that? And the only logical reason that I concluded is because we don't like to feel indebted to other people. We like, ha we like having control over our own lives. But this behavior is actually extremely selfish and is completely contrary to the Holy Spirit. A quote by someone that I read online while I was studying goes like this. Perhaps we need to give others the blessing of giving by learning to be a gracious receiver. And to be honest, that struck a massive chord with me because I am one of those people that sometimes wonder why is this person being so generous or that doesn't like taking stuff from other people because I know that I will then feel obligated to actually return the favor. So it completely makes sense. So I guess um, those are the only two passages that I could really dive into for the sake of... Um, the time that was allotted to me to, to dive into this gift. I wish I would have had the time to do more, but yeah, I hope with those two passages, I was able to um, make, make it a little clearer what this gift means. But I guess another question I was able to answer was, how do I know I have this gift? Or in other words, who has it? And I'm sure we all have people in our lives that... Um, that we know who are always ready, willing, or capable of helping other people, regardless of who it is. It's like it's built into their DNA, kind of. It's like they need to help daily to achieve their daily dose of happiness, or dopamine rush, I guess. And I guess while this gift generally refers to helping the weak and feeble, it, like some people have this extraordinary gift of just going to the weak and to the unable and, and helping them out, without thinking, it's like it's not a burden to, to them. Um, I personally believe that while there are some specially enabled people by God to always go above and beyond for others, it, it's very clear and obvious that they have the gift. Um, every believer reborn in the Spirit should desire this gift 
Um, I believe that it isn't just a specific person gift, um, but something that every believer should strive to live up to, taking the burden from other people. So I guess what we really have to question is our intentions for helping other people. Are we doing it because, because of our own selfish ambition or are we hoping to get something in return? Like, are we genuinely interested in sacrificing ourselves to make someone else's burden a lot lighter? You would have to question someone who only helps out um, a person, let's say, once or twice a month, um, on their own terms, on their own time, basically only when it's convenient for them, because then it's not sacrifice, it's begrudgingly or of necessity. But someone like, um, and I'm gonna use a person that isn't here, <laughs> but someone like Nathan Dow, for example, you, clearly he has the gift of teaching. So let's say someone, like, uh, someone would walk up to Nathan Dow and would need help from him. He can't claim, I have the gift of teaching. I don't have the gift of helps. Therefore, go to this and this person. I can't help you. I already have my gift. Or let's say someone like Aaron, let's say he has the gift of exhorting people and someone walks up to him seeking help, clearly needs help, and Aaron has the means to provide help. He can say, sorry, I have the gift of exhortion. Walk to Brendan, he has the gifts of help. He's going to help you. It would be quite selfish to say so. But some people do have a draw to always help. And it isn't, but it isn't out of anyone's capacity to help carry a burden. It's like when you compare it to the human body, like every body part is helpful to us, right? Diversities of parts our arms are helpful, our feet are helpful, our eyes are helpful, our ears are helpful. So every body part is helpful to us, and, and, and the church body should be the same way. Corporately, as a collective whole, we should carry one another's burdens. The poet in Proverbs 3 doesn't otherwise say, do not withhold good from those whom it is due, when it is the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. I'm just going to conclude with a verse that was actually shared to me yesterday evening at Josh George's house, and I think it ties in really well to this gift. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 um, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So you can see in this verse that Paul, being so affectionate in his teaching and taking the gospel to other people, didn't just take the gospel to other people. He also brought the sacrifice of his own life, laying down his life for the sake of other people. And so should our own lives be. We should be willing, everyone here in this room, just because we have a specific gift, you know, we're obviously better in other things more than others, but in some way, shape, or form, we should all be willing to lay our own lives down for other people. And I guess that's all the notes I have for today. So hopefully my time up here has been a blessing to everyone and, uh, 
yeah, thank you all for your time.